0: Chapter Twenty Six of Elsie Venner This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Twenty Six The News Reaches the Dudley Mansion. Early the next morning, Abel Stebbins made his appearance at Dudley Venner's and requested to see the man of the house about something of consequence. Mr. Venner sent word that the messenger should wait below, and presently appeared in the study where Abel was making himself at home, as is the wont of the Republican citizen when he hides the purple of empire beneath the apron of domestic service. "Good morning, Squire," said Abel as mr venner entered my name's Stebbins, and i'm stoppin for a spell with dr kittridge well stubbins said mr dudley venner have you brought any special message from the doctor you haven't heard nothin bout it squire d'ye mean to say said abel beginning to suspect that he was the first to bring the news of last evening's events about what asked mr venner with some interest do tell now well that beats all "'Why, that ere Portuguese relation of yourn "'is been tryin' to catch a fella in a slipper-noose "'and got catched himself, that's all. Ye hadn't heard nothin' about it.' "'Sit down,' said Mr. Dudley Venner calmly, "'and tell me all you have to say.' "'So Abel sat down and gave him an account "'of the events of the last evening. "'It was a strange and terrible surprise to Dudley Venner "'to find that his nephew, "'who had been an inmate of his house,' and the companion of his daughter was to all intents and purposes guilty of the gravest of crimes but the first shock was no sooner over than he began to think what effect the news would have on elsie he imagined that there was a kind of friendly feeling between them and he feared some crisis would be provoked in his daughter's mental condition by the discovery he would wait however until she came from her chamber before disturbing her with the evil tidings abel did not forget his message with reference to the equipments of the dead mustang there was some things on the hoss squire that the man he ketched said he didn't care no great about but perhaps you'd like to have em fetched to the mansion house if you didn't care about them though i shouldn't mind keepin em they might come handy some time or another "'They say, hold on to anything for ten years, and there'll be some kind of use for it.' "'Keep everything,' said Dudley Venner. "'I don't want to see anything belonging to that young man.' So Abel nodded to Mr. Venner, and left the study to find some of the men about the stable to tell and talk over with them the events of the last evening. He presently came upon Elbridge, chief of the equine department and driver of the family coach good mornin', abe said elbridge what's fetched you down here so all fired early you're a damned purty lot down here you be abel answered better keep your portuguese to home next time catchin folks with slipper nooses round their necks and carryin knives in their boots what are you John, about elbridge said looking up to see if he was in earnest and what he meant "John, about you'll find out soon as ye go into that ere stable of yourn ye you won't curry that here long-tailed black hoss no more and ye won't set your eyes on the feller that rid him again in a hurry elbridge walked straight to the stable without saying a word found the door unlocked and went in the critter's gone sure enough he said glad on it the damnedest kickinest bitinest beast that ever i see or ever want to see again good riddance don't want no snappin turkles in my stable where's the man gone that brought the critter where's he gone guess you better go and ask my old man he carried him off last night and when he comes back maybe he'll tell you where he's gone to by this time elbridge had found out that abel was in earnest and had something to tell he looked at the litter in the Mustang's stall then at the crib ha'n't eat but half his feed ha'n't been down on his straw must a been took about somewhere about ten or eleven o'clock i know that here critter's ways the fellers had him out nights afore but i never thought nothin o no mischief he is a kin of half injun what is it the chap's been a-doin on tell us all about it abel sat down on a meal-chest picked up a straw and put it into his mouth elbridge sat down on the other end pulled out his jack-knife opened the penknife blade and began sticking it into the lid of the meal chest the doctor's man had a story to tell and he meant to get all the enjoyment out of it so he told it with every luxury of circumstance mr venner's man heard it all with open mouth no listener in the gardens of stamboul could have found more rapture In a tale heard amidst the perfume of roses and the voices of birds and tinkling of fountains than elbridge in following abel's narrative as they sat there in the aromatic ammoniacal atmosphere of the stable the grinding of the horse's jaws keeping evenly on through it all with now and then the interruption of a stamping hoof and at intervals a ringing crow from the barnyard elbridge stopped a minute to think after abel had finished who's took care of them things that was on the horse he said gravely well langdon he seemed to kind of think i'd ought to have em and the squire he didn't seem to have no objection and so while i calculate i shall just hold on to them myself they ain't good for much but they're curious to keep and look at Mr. Venner's man did not appear much gratified by this arrangement, especially as he had a shrewd suspicion that some of the ornaments of the bridle were of precious metal, having made occasional examinations of them with the edge of a file. But he did not see exactly what to do about it, except to get them from Abel in the way of bargain. "'Well, no, they ain't good for much, cept to look at. If you ever rid on that saddle once, you would not try it again.' very spry not if you could help yourself i tried it darn if i sat down for the next week eat all my victuals, standin i should like to have them things well enough to hang up in the stable if you want to trade some day fetch em along down abel rather expected that elbridge would have laid claim to the saddle and bridle on the strength of some promise or other presumptive title and thought himself lucky to get off with only offering to think about trading when elbridge returned to the house he found the family in a state of great excitement mr venner had told old sophy and she had informed the other servants everybody knew what had happened except elsie her father had charged them all to say nothing about it to her he would tell her when she came down he heard her step at last A light gliding step so light that her coming was often unheard except by those who perceived the faint rustle that went with it she was paler than common this morning as she came into her father's study after a few words of salutation he said quietly elsie my dear your cousin richard has left us she grew still paler as she asked is he dead dudley venner started to see the expression with which elsie put this question he is living but dead to us from this day forward said her father he proceeded to tell her in a general way the story he had just heard from abel there could be no doubting it he remembered him as the doctor's man and as abel had seen all with his own eyes as dick's chamber when unlocked with a spare key was found empty and his bed had not been slept in he accepted the whole account as true when he told of dick's attempt on the young schoolmaster you know mr langdon very well elsie a perfectly inoffensive young man as i understand elsie turned her face away and slid along by the wall to the window which looked out on the little grass plot with the white stone standing in it her father could not see her face but he knew by her movements that her dangerous mood was on her when she heard the sequel of the story the discomfiture and capture of dick she turned round for an instant with a look of contempt and of something like triumph upon her face her father saw that her cousin had become odious to her he knew well by every change of her countenance by her movements by every varying curve of her graceful figure the transitions from passion to repose from fierce excitement to the dull languor which often succeeded her threatening paroxysms she remained looking out at the window a group of white fan-tailed pigeons had lighted on the green plot before it and clustered about one of their companions who lay on his back fluttering in a strange way with outspread wings and twitching feet elsie uttered a faint cry these were her special favorites and often fed from her hand she threw open the long window sprang out caught up the white fantail, and held it to her bosom the bird stretched himself out and then lay still with open eyes lifeless she looked at him a moment and sliding in through the open window and through the study sought her own apartment where she locked herself in and began to sob and moan like those that weep but the gracious solace of tears seemed to be denied her and her grief like her anger was a dull ache longing like that to finish itself with a fierce paroxysm but wanting its natural outlet this seemingly trifling incident of the death of her favorite appeared to change all the current of her thought whether it were the sight of the dying bird OR THE THOUGHT THAT HER OWN AGENCY MIGHT HAVE BEEN CONCERNED IN IT, OR SOME DEEPER GRIEF, WHICH TOOK THIS OCCASION TO DECLARE ITSELF, SOME DARK REMORSE OR HOPELESS LONGING, WHATEVER IT MIGHT BE, THERE WAS AN UNWANTED TUMULT IN HER SOUL. TO WHOM SHOULD SHE GO IN HER VAGUE MISERY? ONLY TO HIM WHO KNOWS ALL HIS CREATURE'S SORROWS, AND LISTENS TO THE FAINTEST HUMAN CRY she knelt as she had been taught to kneel from her childhood and tried to pray but her thoughts refused to flow in the language of supplication she could not plead for herself as other women plead in their hours of anguish she rose like one who should stoop to drink and find dust in the place of water partly from restlessness partly from an attraction she hardly avowed to herself she followed her usual habit and strolled listlessly along to the school of course everybody at the institute was full of the terrible adventure of the preceding evening mr bernard felt poorly enough but he had made it a point to show himself the next morning as if nothing had happened helen darley knew nothing of it all until she had risen when the gossipy matron of the establishment made her acquainted with all its details embellished with such additional ornamental appendages as it had caught up in transmission from lip to lip she did not love to betray her sensibilities but she was pale and tremulous and very nearly tearful when mr bernard entered the sitting-room showing on his features traces of the violent shock he had received and the heavy slumber from which he had risen with throbbing brows what the poor girl's impulse was on seeing him we need not inquire too curiously if he had been her own brother she would have kissed him and cried on his neck but something held her back there was no galvanism in kiss your brother it is copper against copper but alien bloods develop strange currents when they flow close to each other with only the films that cover lip and cheek between them mr bernard as some of us may remember violated the proprieties and laid himself open to reproach by his enterprise with a bouncing village girl to whose rosy cheek an honest smack was not probably an absolute novelty he made it all up by his discretion and good behavior now he saw by helen's moist eye and trembling lip that her woman's heart was off its guard and he knew by the infallible instinct of sex that he should be forgiven if he thanked her for her sisterly sympathies in the most natural way expressive and at the same time economical of breath and utterance he would not give a false look to their friendship by any such demonstration helen was a little older than himself but the aureole of young womanhood had not yet begun to fade from around her she was surrounded by that enchanted atmosphere into which the girl walks with dreamy eyes and out of which the woman passes with a story written on her forehead some people think very little of these refinements they have not studied magnetism and the law of the square of the distance so mr bernard thanked helen for her interest without the aid of the twenty-seventh letter of the alphabet the love labial the limping consonant which it takes two to speak plain indeed he scarcely let her say a word at first for he saw that it was hard for her to conceal her emotion No wonder he had come within a hair's breadth of losing his life, and he had been a very kind friend and a very dear companion to her. There were some curious spiritual experiences connected with his last evening's adventure which were working very strongly in his mind. It was borne in upon him irresistibly that he had been dead since he had seen Helen, as dead as the son of the widow of Nain before the bier was touched and he sat up and began to speak there was an interval between two conscious moments which appeared to him like a temporary annihilation and the thoughts it suggested were worrying him with strange perplexities he remembered seeing the dark figure on horseback rise in the saddle and something leap from its hand he remembered the thrill he felt as the coil settled on his shoulders and the sudden impulse which led him to fire as he did with the report of the pistol all became blank until he found himself in a strange bewildered state groping about for the weapon which he had a vague consciousness of having dropped but according to abel's account there must have been an interval of some minutes between these recollections and he could not help asking where was the mind the soul the thinking principle all this time a man is stunned by a blow with a stick on the head he becomes unconscious another man gets a harder blow on the head from a bigger stick and it kills him does he become unconscious too if so when does he come to his consciousness the man who has had a slight or moderate blow comes to himself when the immediate shock passes off and the organs begin to work again or when a bit of the skull is pried up if that happens to be broken suppose the blow is hard enough to spoil the brain and stop the play of the organs what happens then a british captain was struck by a cannon-ball on the head just as he was giving an order at the battle of the nile fifteen months afterwards he was trephined at greenwich hospital having been insensible all that time immediately after the operation his consciousness returned and he at once began carrying out the order he was giving when the shot struck him suppose he had never been trephined when would his consciousness have returned when his breath ceased and his heart stopped beating When Mr. Bernard said to Helen, "'I have been dead since I saw you,' it startled her not a little, for his expression was that of perfect good faith, and she feared that his mind was disordered. When he explained, not as has been done just now, at length, but in a hurried imperfect way, the meaning of his strange assertion and the fearful Sadduceisms which it had suggested to his mind, she looked troubled at first, and then thoughtful.' she did not feel able to answer all the difficulties he raised but she met them with that faith which is the strength as well as the weakness of women which makes them weak in the hands of man but strong in the presence of the unseen it is a strange experience she said but i once had something like it i fainted and lost some five or ten minutes out of my life as much as if i had been dead but when i came to myself i was the same person every way in my recollections and character so i suppose that loss of consciousness is not death and if i was born out of unconsciousness into infancy with many family traits of mind and body i can believe from my own reason even without help from revelation that i shall be born again out of the unconsciousness of death with my individual traits of mind and body if death is as it should seem to be a loss of consciousness that does not shake my faith for i have been put into a body once already to fit me for living here and i hope to be in some way fitted after this life to enjoy a better one but it is all trust in god and in his word these are enough for me i hope they are for you helen was a minister's daughter and familiar from her childhood with this class of questions especially with all the doubts and perplexities which are sure to assail every thinking child bred in any inorganic or not thoroughly vitalized faith as is too often the case with the children of professional theologians the kind of discipline they are subjected to is like that of the flathead indian papooses at five or ten or fifteen years old they put their hands up to their foreheads and ask why are they strapping down my brains in this way for so they tear off the sacred bandages of the great flathead tribe and there follows a mighty rush of blood to the long compressed region this accounts in the most lucid manner for those sudden freaks with which certain children of this class astonish their worthy parents at the period of life when they are growing fast and the frontal pressure beginning to be felt as something intolerable they tear off the holy compresses the hour for school came and they went to the great hall for study it would not have occurred to mr silas peckham to ask his assistant whether he felt well enough to attend to his duties and mr bernard chose to be at his post a little headache and confusion were all that remained of his symptoms later in the course of the forenoon elsie venner came and took her place the girls all stared at her naturally enough for it was hardly to have been expected that she would show herself after such an event in the household to which she belonged her expression was somewhat peculiar and of course was attributed to the shock her feelings had undergone on hearing of the crime attempted by her cousin and daily companion when she was looking on her book or on any indifferent object her countenance betrayed some inward disturbance which knitted her dark brows and seemed to throw a deeper shadow over her features but from time to time she would lift her eyes toward mr bernard and let them rest upon him without a thought seemingly that she herself was the subject of observation or remark then they seemed to lose their cold glitter and soften into a strange dreamy tenderness the deep instincts of womanhood were striving to grope their way to the surface of her being through all the alien influences which overlaid them she could be secret and cunning in working out any of her dangerous impulses but she did not know how to mask the unwonted feeling which fixed her eyes and her thoughts upon the only person who had ever reached the spring of her hidden sympathies the girls all looked at elsie whenever they could steal a glance unperceived and many of them were struck with this singular expression her features wore They had long whispered, it around among each other, that she had a liking for the master, but there were too many of them of whom something like this could be said to make it very remarkable. Now, however, when so many little hearts were fluttering at the thought of the peril through which the handsome young master had so recently passed, they were more alive than ever to the supposed relation between him and the dark schoolgirl some had supposed there was a mutual attachment between them there was a story that they were secretly betrothed in accordance with the rumor which had been current in the village at any rate some conflict was going on in that still remote clouded soul and all the girls who looked upon her face were impressed and awed as they had never been before by the shadows that passed over it one of these girls was more strongly arrested by elsie's look than the others this was a delicate pallid creature with a high forehead with wide open pupils which looked as if they could take in all the shapes that flit in what to common eyes is darkness a girl said to be clairvoyant under certain influences in the recess as it was called or interval of suspended studies in the middle of the forenoon this girl carried her autograph book for she had one of those indispensable appendages of the boarding-school miss of every degree and asked elsie to write her name in it she had an irresistible feeling that sooner or later and perhaps very soon there would attach an unusual interest to this autograph elsie took the pen and wrote in her sharp italian hand elsie venner it was a remembrance doubtless of the forlorn queen of the aeneid but its coming to her thought in this way confirmed the sensitive schoolgirl in her fears for elsie and she let fall a tear upon the page before she closed it of course the keen and practised observation of helen darley could not fail to notice the change of elsie's manner and expression she had long seen that she was attracted to the young master and had thought as the old doctor did that any impression which acted upon her affections might be the means of awakening a new life in her singularly isolated nature now however the concentration of the poor girl's thoughts upon the one object which had had power to reach her deeper sensibilities was so painfully revealed in her features that helen began to fear once more lest mr bernard in escaping the treacherous violence of an assassin had been left to the equally dangerous consequences of a violent engrossing passion in the breast of a young creature whose love it would be ruined to admit and might be deadly to reject she knew her own heart too well to fear that any jealousy might mingle with her new apprehensions it was understood between bernard and helen that they were too good friends to tamper with the silences and edging proximities of love-making she knew too the simply human not masculine interest which mr bernard took in elsie he had been frank with helen and more than satisfied her that with all the pity and sympathy which overflowed his soul when he thought of the stricken girl there mingled not one drop of such love as a youth may feel for a maiden it may help the reader to gain some understanding of the anomalous nature of elsie If we look with helen into mr bernard's opinions and feelings with reference to her as they had shaped themselves in his consciousness at the period of which we are speaking at first he had been impressed by her wild beauty and the contrast of all her looks and ways with those of the girls around her presently a sense of some ill-defined personal element which half attracted and half repelled those who looked upon her and especially those on whom she looked began to make itself obvious to him as he soon found it was painfully sensible to his more susceptible companion the lady teacher it was not merely in the cold light of her diamond eyes but in all her movements in her graceful postures as she sat in her costume and he sometimes thought even in her speech that this obscure and exceptional character betrayed itself when helen had said that if they were living in times when human beings were subject to possession she should have thought there was something not human about elsie it struck an unsuspected vein of thought in his own mind which he hated to put in words but which was continually trying to articulate itself among the dumb thoughts which lie under the perpetual stream of mental whispers Mr. Bernard's professional training had made him slow to accept marvellous stories and many forms of superstition. Yet, as a man of science, he well knew that just on the verge of the demonstrable facts of physics and physiology there is a nebulous borderland, which, what is called common sense, perhaps does wisely not to enter, but which uncommon sense, or the fine apprehension of privileged intelligences, may cautiously explore, and in doing so find itself behind the scenes which make up for the gazing world the show which is called nature. It was with something of this finer perception, perhaps with some degree of imaginative exaltation, that he set himself to solving the problem of Elsie's influence to attract and repel those around her his letter already submitted to the reader hints in what direction his thoughts were disposed to turn here was a magnificent organization superb in vigorous womanhood with a beauty such as never comes but after generations of culture yet through all this rich nature there ran some alien current of influence sinuous and dark as when a clouded streak seems the white marble of a perfect statue it would be needless to repeat the particular suggestions which had come into his mind as they must probably have come into that of the reader who has noted the singularities of elsie's tastes and personal traits the images which certain poets had dreamed of seemed to have become a reality before his own eyes then came that unexplained adventure of the mountain almost like a dream in recollection yet assuredly real in some of its main incidents with all that it revealed or hinted. This girl did not fear to visit the dreaded region, where danger lurked in every nook and beneath every tuft of leaves. Did the tenants of the fatal ledge recognize some mysterious affinity which made them tributary to the cold glitter of her diamond eyes? Was she from her birth one of those frightful children, such as he had read about, and the professor had told him of, who form unnatural friendships with cold, writhing ophidians there was no need of so unwelcome a thought as this she had drawn him away from the dark opening in the rock at the moment when he seemed to be threatened by one of its malignant denizens that was all he could be sure of the counter fascination might have been a dream a fancy a coincidence all wonderful things soon grow doubtful in our own minds as do even common events if great interests prove suddenly to attach to their truth or falsehood i who am telling of these occurrences saw a friend in the great city on the morning of a most memorable disaster hours after the time when the train which carried its victims to their doom had left i talked with him and was for some minutes at least in his company when i reached home i found that the story had gone before that he was among the lost and i alone could contradict it to his weeping friends and relatives i did contradict it but alas i began soon to doubt myself penetrated by the contagion of their solicitude my recollection began to question itself the order of events became dislocated and when i heard that he had reached home in safety the relief was almost as great to me as to those who had expected to see their own brother's face no more mr bernard was disposed then not to accept the thought of any odious personal relationship of the kind which had suggested itself to him when he wrote the letter referred to that the girl had something of the feral nature her wild lawless rambles in forbidden and blasted regions of the mountain at all hours her familiarity with the lonely haunts where any other human foot was so rarely seen proved clearly enough but the more he thought of all her strange instincts and modes of being the more he became convinced that whatever alien impulse swayed her will and modulated or diverted or displaced her affections came from some impression that reached far back into the past before the days when the faithful old Sophie had rocked her in the cradle he believed that she had brought her ruling tendency whatever it was into the world with her when the school was over and the girls had all gone helen lingered in the schoolroom to speak with mr bernard did you remark elsie's ways this forenoon she said no not particularly i have not noticed anything as sharply as i commonly do my head has been a little queer and i have been thinking over what we were talking about and how near i came to solving the great problem which every day makes clear to such multitudes of people what about elsie bernard her liking for you is growing into a passion i have studied girls for a long while and i know the difference between their passing fancies and their real emotions i told you you remember that rosa would have to leave us We barely missed a scene, I think, if not a whole tragedy, by her going at the right moment. But Elsie is infinitely more dangerous to herself and others. Women's love is fierce enough, if it once gets the mastery of them—always. But this poor girl does not know what to do with a passion. Mr. Bernard had never told Helen the story of the flower in his Virgil, or that other adventure which he would have felt awkwardly to refer to. But it had been perfectly understood between them that Elsie showed, in her own singular way, a well-marked partiality for the young master. "'Why don't they take her away from the school if she is in such a strange, excitable state?' said Mr. Bernard. "'I believe they are afraid of her,' Helen answered. "'It is just one of those cases that are ten thousand times worse than insanity.' I don't think, from what I hear, that her father has ever given up hoping that she will outgrow her peculiarities. Oh, these peculiar children, for whom parents go on hoping every morning and despairing every night! If I could tell you half that mothers have told me, you would feel that the worst of all diseases of the moral sense and the will are those which all the bedlams turn away from their doors as not being cases of insanity do you think her father has treated her judiciously said mr bernard i think said helen with a little hesitation which mr bernard did not happen to notice i think he has been very kind and indulgent and i do not know that he could have treated her otherwise with a better chance of success he must of course be fond of her mr bernard said there is nothing else in the world for him to love helen dropped a book she held in her hand and stooping to pick it up the blood rushed into her cheeks it is getting late she said you must not stay any longer in this schoolroom pray go and get a little fresh air before dinner-time chapter twenty six